0: Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's Investment and Portfolio Management Team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of the Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today Marco Bravo will provide AAM's latest outlook on the economy. And then I'll be joined by Andy Bolin to discuss what we think could be a canary in the coal mine in terms of industrial activity and inflation and that's chemical sector. So welcome Marco. Thanks, Pat. Um, So, since we last spoke on September 23rd, there's been a ton of data released, including higher than expected inflation, stronger than expected jobs data, better than expected sentiment data, and rates have increased by 20 to 50 basis points across the curve. Um, So that's the backdrop uh, of of where we stand and yesterday the economic committee met yesterday to discuss our outlook on inflation labor rates and growth um so let's talk about everyone's favorite topic first that's inflation uh so where do we see core pce a year from now and um how does that compare with consensus
1: sure So first, let's um, let's look at currently uh, core PCE in August on a year-over-year basis was up 4.9%. And the consensus among economists is for this number to slowly trend lower. And so by the uh, by the fourth quarter of next year, economists have forecasted the core PCE index to Average 2.7 percent, so roughly about a, a 200 basis points move lower in the year-over-year rate, <clears throat> and that would that would, you know, effectively put it pretty close to the Fed's uh, target level of 2 percent. Um, like you mentioned, we met le- uh, we met yesterday. Uh, inflation was was uh, highly talked about and debated among our group, and Um, At the end, we view the risks to inflation as uh, skewed to the upside, largely due to, you know, shelter prices, which we think will be very slow to come down, uh, as well as a tight labor market, which should keep pressure on wages and all likely to keep kind of core prices, especially core services, elevated relative to consensus forecast so uh, we think inflation likely has peaked and will trend lower but we don't think it's gonna come down as quickly as the consensus is forecasting it to do.
0: Okay, Um, so what does that mean for the fed funds rate then? Uh, I think um, consensus right now expects the fed funds rate to move up to four and a half percent from three and a quarter percent today. What's our view?
1: Yeah. And that just, just to be clear, that consensus is from the uh, September of uh, blue chip financial forecast. So economists were projecting the uh, fed funds rate to peak at four and a half just to add some additional color. The futures market today is pricing in a Fed, funds, a Fed funds rate of five percent, so a little bit higher than consensus. So at AAM, you know, we think the Fed's going to continue to raise rates. Uh, we'll likely see seventy-five basis points uh, at their next meeting in November, and likely fifty basis points in December. But we're we're expecting a total of one hundred and fifty basis points increase from current levels. So that brings the federal funds rate up to 4.75%, so slightly higher than the consensus for for the uh, blue chip forecast, uh, but just slightly lower than where the futures market is currently pricing it.
0: Okay. One of the items that you mentioned contributing to higher inflation is, of course, uh, wages and and labor, Um, with uh, consensus expects unemployment to be just a little bit over 4% a year from now. Uh, given those Fed fund moves that consensus and we are expecting, what's our view on on labor um, next year, this time?
1: So we think, you know, every time the Fed raises rates, uh, they're tightening financial conditions here in the US, and although the unemployment rate hasn't moved much here recently, we think we're going to start to see employers kind of adjust to the expectation of slowing growth. And so our view is that the unemployment rate is going to rise faster than what is currently being forecasted.
0: Uh, So we're expecting higher inflation than consensus, a more restrictive Fed, and Higher unemployment than consensus. So, what does that mean for growth? What's our outlook there?
1: Sure. the the current The current for forecast um, among economists is for for this year uh, U.S. GDP to increase by zero point one percent, and next year GDP to grow by zero point six percent. So, very weak and slow growth is the consensus. In, in Marco, and as I mentioned earlier, Marco, that's 0.6%,
0: yeah. that's thats 4Q2022 to 4Q23, is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah, yes, that's a Q4 over Q4 figure. And so, as I mentioned earlier, as, as the Fed continues to raise rates, uh, financial conditions are tightening. In fact, if you, if you look at a financial conditions index that's maintained by Goldman Sachs, it, it's clearly moving up. Into the tighter phase, so it's doing exactly what the Fed is trying to do, and that's slow growth, uh, slow demand, in order to uh, get inflation lower. And so, at AM, uh, we think there's a very good chance, very high probability that the U.S. enters a recession within the next 12 months, and that's and that's consistent with the majority of economists who have slowly increased their probability of the U S entering a recession. So right now, uh, per Bloomberg, the average among economists is a 60% probability that the U S enters a recession within the next, uh, within the next 12 months. So we think the, the, the chances of a so-called soft landing, um, those chances continue to diminish every time the Fed raises rates there.
0: Well, that's a sobering outlook, Marco, but uh, great information nonetheless. So thank you for all of that. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you, Pat. Next up, we're joined by Andy Bolan, a senior corporate analyst and frequent guest. Uh, in addition to covering autos, utilities, housing, metals and mining. He's also responsible for chemicals and packaging uh, which is what we're going to talk about today. So welcome Andy.
2: Glad to be back Pat. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. Chemicals and packaging. Um, It it doesn't get the attention it deserves because uh, it's small and it's really complex. It's fragmented Uh, but you think it gives us a pretty good view into the economy. So um, tell us you know why you think it's important from a macroeconomic perspective
2: okay sounds good um, first I guess the best thing to do is, is talk quickly about the structure of the chemical sector uh, the uh, you have uh, companies that are in the commodity end of the spectrum uh, those are the upstream companies that are really close to oil and, and natural gas uh, making things like ethylene and propylene, which are uh, natural gas, um, or I'm sorry, ethane, which is natural gas liquids, and turning that into ethylene. And then you have the downstream names, or a lot of times people call them specialty chemical names, which literally are making thousands of different types of, of chemicals that are going into uh, just about everything you touch throughout the day. So, um, the really, when we talk about the chemical sector, you have a huge uh, wide range variety of companies from the commodity end to the specialty end and obviously in a lot of times those those uh, lines are kind of blurred a little bit so uh, you know I, I guess I'd like to call even the specialty chemical companies as uh, semi-commodity companies because nobody's really um, immune to the commodity cycle so and that's what makes it kind of interesting from a macroeconomic perspective is they you on the upstream side We get a lot of quick, real-time data as far as pricing, and that tells you a lot of what's happening from supply and demand aspect. Mm -hmm. And over the last two years, the commodity guys have really benefited, just like we've seen all commodities, whether it's metals and mining or oil companies, uh, benefiting from really a great commodity environment. And we're starting to see that shift now, and I think that's pretty telling about what's happening in the macro economy. In that the uh, the margins that we're being enjoyed, by the commodity companies are shifting now to the downstream companies, which is a good sign in the sense that maybe some of the supply chain restrictions that we've been talking about for the last two years are, are starting to ease at least somewhat.
0: Okay, that's that's pretty interesting. It's like the uh, the canary in the coal mine a little bit. It's it it gives you a, a first look into what's happening in the overall economy
2: it really does so you saw you saw those commodity you saw those uh commodity producers really have a great 2021 uh and it really was a sign that some of these inflationary pressures were probably a little bit more persistent than than maybe we are giving uh giving it credit so
0: okay and you mentioned um commodity and specialty chemical providers and i think you said did you say that it's a commodity is based on ethane, or can you maybe just repeat that for me? I didn't catch that.
2: Yeah, basically, the the there's a there's a few different value chains, but obviously the biggest one is the petrochemicals value chain, which starts with oil and natural gas. Okay. And out of natural gas and and oil, you get what's what are called the base chemicals, which is uh, well, actually, you get natural gas liquids, which is ethane, butane, and propane, and out of that, you, you through a steam cracker, then you you can create your ethylene and propylene, which is kind of what we're all used to hearing about uh, from a packaging perspective. so a lot of the whole the whole petrochemical value chain starts with natural gas and oil and and it's quite amazing that you can start with basically two ingredients and eventually it turns into literally thousands of different downstream chemicals and that's kind of what the whole where companies are at in that value chain are they closer to the actual natural gas or are they closer to the end market consumer? Will dictate whether they're a commodity closer to a commodity company or closer to a specialty company.
0: I gotcha. Very interesting. Um, so you've mentioned ethylene and propylene a couple times here. What are you seeing right now in terms of uh, prices and demand?
2: Well, that's really uh, those are the two big uh, ethylene and propylene are the two biggest uh, chemicals that come out of the petrochemical value chain. And obviously, we're all familiar with uh, polyethylene and polypropylene from what we've learned about recycling, right? That's most of the packages we've seen are based on those two. And, and so really, you see, but beyond packaging, they, those two uh, polymers actually go into a lot of other, other end-use products. And so when you hear about, like a Dow just a uh, couple of weeks ago said they're going to start reducing capacity that's an indication that they're seeing slowing demand. Um, and that's that's why I think uh, chemicals like ethylene and propylene are really important to watch because those are an indication that things are are, are slowing down uh, pretty dramatically. And their year-over-year prices are actually now down, which mm-hmm. I think is important from an inflation perspective.
0: Okay. do Do you think that's due to the higher input costs, like you mentioned, like natural gas and oil, or is it due to weaker users further downstream that might be more well, economic related?
2: I, I think it's more economic related because those guys, you know, the, again, the commodity guys that have been producing ethylene have been dealing with high natural gas and crude oil prices now for a couple of years. Okay. And it's actually been a great, it's been a great environment for them. So the fact that they have to take out capacity is an indication that their customers are ordering less, which is a combination of end market demand being weaker than expected, but also because of all the supply chain issues we've had over the last couple of years, downstream customers have been carrying more inventory because of the volatility in the supply chain. So now they're feeling less compelled to to hold that inventory. So the upstream guys are now getting impacted by a couple of different factors. And then obviously you throw in what's happening in Europe, um, and obviously, a lot of demand destruction going on there so mm-hmm. uh so it is really an economic um indication that so, at least in some uh, certain products uh there is demand is is softening quite a bit.
0: Don't like to hear that, but it's good to know um, so you talked a little bit about packaging and, and um, plastics here. One item that you've been informing the group on for a while now is. Uh, fertilizers and how they play a key role in the overall food supply chain. Um, What are you seeing there in terms of prices and demand? And uh, have you seen any response from higher natural gas uh, prices into overall fertilizer prices or demand?
2: Uh, Definitely. Um, And unfortunately, unfortunately, that you know we wish you would see that the fertilizer prices coming down just like polyethylene and polypropylene, but they are uh, stubbornly high for a variety of reasons uh, obviously one is natural gas um, and two, a lot of of the world's potash and uh, back up a second here um, there's three uh, nitrogen potash and phosphate are the three important ingredients that go into fertilizer that plants need mm-hmm. uh, nitrogens based on natural gas the other two are mined, or um, and a lot of the phosphates and pho- potash come from an international market. A lot of it comes from Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and so you had this kind of double whammy of high natural gas prices and a, a really disrupted supply chain, and that's what, and and that's on top of what we already saw because just like the other commodity chemicals, twenty twenty one we actually saw a steady increase in fertilizer prices 2021 was already a great year for fertilizer producers and so we came into 2022 with high pretty strong pricing environment for them in other words high prices for uh users of fertilizer
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so the the uh, uh situation in ukraine obviously didn't help matters much uh, and actually made it quite a bit worse so mm-hmm. uh we did we got a little bit of relief in the summer it looked like prices were coming down but then late summer natural gas turned back up again and so that's kind of keeping uh, uh keeping fertilizer prices elevated
0: okay so it's fair to say that as long as natural gas prices remain elevated the nitrogen based fertilizers probably will remain elevated is that fair
2: that's very fair yes okay and ammonia is the main one and ammonia is still high uh year over year Potash and phosphates are 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 pretty. They're still a little bit higher than last year, but at least we're getting a little bit closer to break even on a year over year basis. So, uh, but yes, the nitrogen based fertilizers are are stubbornly high.
0: Something that's getting a lot of attention recently is is the role that plastics and packaging has on the environment. Um, how is the industry overall? responding to this challenge? And do you think it's going to influence um, packaging supply uh, in the near to intermediate term?
2: Yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, And obviously, the petrochemical industry and the packaging industry are obviously tied together when it comes to the uh, what people like to call the circular economy. And, Mm. And a lot there's a lot of talk about the circular economy and how that that's a goal. And as much as be an, it's a nice goal to obtain, the numbers are really kind of staggering as far as what a daunting task that would be. Um, and only right now, only about 9% of plastic actually gets recycled. And even a lot of the plastics you throw into your blend bin end up in landfills because there's just no economical way to recycle it. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of hope out there right now. A company called Eastman is developing... What's called chemical recycling, which is actually can take all those different types of plastics and break them back down into their base monomers, and which is ethylene or propylene. And if they're successful at doing that on a commercial scale, then now it's a lot easier than to recycle that those monomers back into the petrochemical value chain. And because right now, mechanical recycling, you really end up with pretty inferior. Um, plastics in in the recycling effort and there's really a limited use for that so right now the industry is kind of all they can really do now is try to find ways to add recycling content to their packaging but right over the last 20 years we've doubled our production of petrochemical plastics and we're probably going to double it over the next 20 years so Mm -hmm. the the uh, challenge is really daunting Um, Mm -hmm. and so hopefully Eastman is successful at this and that offers a way to um, I can uh, at least from a commercial basis uh, get some recycling um, improve the economics of the recycling so
0: okay fair enough um, so given what you've just said about all the, the um, fundamentals of the sector uh, I'm wondering what do you think about relative value um, I know it's a relatively small component of the overall. IG index, but um, are there any names or uh, issues or just a sector in general that you think um, might provide some relative value opportunities?
2: Uh, yeah, so it is kind of a hard sector to uh, get involved with. Again, it's not very big, so you own a couple of names and you pretty much have a market weight. Um, and the other the issue, too, is especially the upstream guys are very, very volatile when it comes to economic cycles. And so through cycles, you really kind of want to own the downstream names. And a lot of those are either trade really rich or uh, are, are difficult to get involved with in liquid security. So, um, so really, the way I view it is... Um, you really have to view it on an opportunistic basis. In other words, right now the cycle does not look good for the commodity guys. And so possibly over the next few quarters, there might be an opportunity to get involved in them. Um, but if they don't widen out enough, you you just won't get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, other than that, you just have to wait around for, we recently bought the Selenese deal Selenese, uh, when times were good, agreed to buy a business from Dow DuPont or from DuPont. And, um, and by the time they had to, to issue bonds to finance it, the world was very different back in June. So they were forced to issue these bonds for this acquisition at pretty attractive levels. And so really, you don't get very many opportunities like that in this sector, but those are kind of the opportunities we look for. Um, and like I said, uh, the other opportunities would be to try to get involved in some of the downstream names, uh, which which you get very infrequent opportunities to get involved in those names too. So um but that's kind of how we view the sector and and kind of how we um uh, approach it going forward
0: okay well i think that's probably a a good point to wrap up our conversation here andy uh thank you very much for your update
2: i'm glad to do it pat glad to be back here again (laughs) good
0: um i hope our clients and listeners find the information useful Um, of course we want to thank you the listener for taking the time to listen to our podcast If you have any questions, please reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined Marco and a member of our investment team to discuss timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thank you.